It is with excitement that I get to share with you that the Leukaemia Foundation has developed a new resource. This resource is called the Online Support Service, where it provides a wealth of services to assist a person living with blood cancer throughout their patient journey. So whether you're a patient who has just been diagnosed, in treatment or in survivorship, this service provides access to targeted learning modules, a suite of amazing services and online programs. And you also have the ability to chat with an experienced blood cancer support coordinator at just one click. It gives people a personalised and intuitive way to learn about important topics, including what to expect beyond treatment. This service is simple to use and is filled with content curated by the Leukaemia Foundation for people with any type of blood cancer. It notably features a digital energy coach to help patients manage fatigue. So jump onto our website and look up our new and exciting product called the Online Blood Cancer Support Service. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation. Find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip, and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. So let's get into today's episode. Today you will hear the interview of Joe Keane. Joe is the wife of Tim Keane. 
If you haven't already listened to Tim's interview, I do suggest going back an episode and having a listen to his truly remarkable story. Tim, he was diagnosed in 1999 with a rare subtype of acute myeloid leukemia, which is known as acute promyelocytic leukemia, or in short, APML. Joe was interviewed by Mary Ann, and she shares her stories and insights as her role as a carer. She also beautifully shares the wisdom of how making time for your family is the very best investment that you can make in your own happiness. Good morning, my name's Mary Ann, and um, I feel really excited to have with me here today Joe Keane. Welcome to um, Talking Blood Cancer. Um, Joe, thank you for spending some time here with me this morning. And thank you so much, Mary Ann, for asking me to come along today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, just so that the listeners are aware, Joe, you're a carer for um, a very special fellow called Tim. Uh, just to set the scene, are you happy to share with everybody where you were at at diagnosis, what that first time was like for you? Uh, certainly. And maybe I'll just start even just a little bit of time before that, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Inside my wedding band are three words that says the journey started and along with the date of our wedding. And I often joked with him that he put those words there so that he would never forget the date of our wedding anniversary. But on reflection, those words actually reflected what we meant to each other and the dreams that lay ahead for us both. So on the 13th of September 1997, which is so long ago now, we made a promise to each other that we would embark on a journey through life together. A journey filled with adventure, a, a journey filled with wonderful shared memories. And whilst we knew that that those that journey would sometimes be filled with times of sadness and sometimes t times of sorrow. We both believed without question that we would overcome anything that came our way so long as we were together. Now, the, 13th, the 13th of September is not only an incredible special day for Tim and I, but so is the 7th of July. On the 7th of July 1996, as we sailed into Manly Harbour on one of the most beautiful sunsets that I've ever seen on my little boat, Tim whispered in my ear, will you marry me? And I said, of course I will. Set three years to the day on the 7th of July 1999, he held my hand as we chased as we faced the biggest storm that we ever thought ever imaginable when he was diagnosed with acute primalacidic leukemia. Mm. At that time, we had we were working really hard. Um, mm. We had probably about a year before um, really started talking about our dream of sailing around the world. And in fact, just a couple of months previously, Tim had bought me a journal um, for us to start writing about where we were going to go, um, what time of year we were going to go, and what type of boat we would sail around the world in. And our dream actually started to really, really crystallise. And we had such a wonderful life ahead of us that it just seemed quite extraordinary that that, in a heartbeat, would change. Mm. 
On the morning of the 7th of July, um, Tim was quite sick, but we were young. We didn't realise that there was anything too sinister. And I got up and just went to work and got a call to say that, from my dad to say that Tim had collapsed at a doctor's surgery and um, he was taken to the MARTA. Um, and I can remember when I walked in, I saw Tim and it looked like he'd done five rounds with Mike Tyson and uh, Mike Tyson <laughs> had certainly come uh, off better than Tim because mm. because he'd collapsed and because his platelets were low, um, he had bruises all over his face and um, a pretty uh, nasty cut over his eyebrow. And I remember vividly, even though it was so very long ago, that this amazing doctor came in and said three simple words you have leukemia. Any questions? And Mm. in a heartbeat, I think, and for anyone who's been through a blood cancer diagnosis, your life will forevermore be separated between the day that you got that news and the time after. Mm. At that moment, I just, I was shocked. I was horrified. Absolutely, Um, yeah. I can remember looking at everyone and it was like time had just slowed down and being Mm -hmm. still. I can remember looking at Tim, at the doctor, at the nurses and just saying, how could this be possible? This possibly Mm. can't be true. And I wanted to grab Tim's hand and run with him as fast Mm. as we could as this somehow that we could just outrun uh, this, this news that we had been given. And I guess I just wanted someone to give me my life back my life Mm. that I'd really up until that point taken for granted a life that just involved getting up and going to work and being worried about a deadline that I was um it was dubious whether I'd meet I guess a life that just seemed so simple and so Mm. easy and at that point so distant Mm -hmm. and I think for any life-changing event whether good or bad We'll always remember that time, you know, we can close our eyes and click our fingers and and we're back there. It's right there. But Mm -hmm. there are things that will happen to us no matter who we are. There'll be great things that happen to us and and not so great things happen. But I think for whatever we can always do, we've always got a choice and that choice is is to make the most of the situation that we've got because no one can ever take away from how you respond to something that's good or bad. That's very true. And, you know, just on that point, Joe, um, I know that uh, Tim shared when, when I chatted with him um, how he was diagnosed and where he was at with his blood levels at that newly diagnosis and they had to put him in ICU for a very long period of time. What was that time like for you and how did you choose to place – where did you choose to place your focus? I think that's uh, where I first um, chose to put my focus was – even when we were in emergency at the MARTA, Tim mm-hmm. said to me, we will beat this. And in those days, in the days and then weeks um, that lay ahead of us, I said to myself, well, he's not going to give up. So mm. I've got to make sure that I don't give up on him as well. I think that, you know, I can remember... That's a very important subconscious thought, isn't it? Yeah. For both of you to Absolutely. Mm. And so for me, I said nothing else really mattered than being there for Tim. You know, mm-hmm. my work didn't matter. My Nothing else mattered 
in the world for me other than being there. So I didn't go home for six weeks. I didn't leave the hospital for six weeks. Um, You know, the first day of Tim's diagnosis, you know, the day – the day after Tim's doctor came into um, his room and said, well, the good news is he's got a leukaemia that we think that he can treat. The bad news is we've never seen someone this sick and Mm -hmm. the next five days are going to be really critical. And uh, that night, um, you know, uh, Dr. Taylor's, uh, I guess, prediction started to ring true and Tim mm-hmm. uh, started hemorrhaging in his lungs and he was uh, taken down to ICU. And again, you know, as I stood there with lots of doctors and nurses working on him, I kept thinking he was only diagnosed yesterday. How yeah. can he possibly be dying now? Mm-hmm. And so for the next seven days, Tim fought with so much fury. But on the eighth day, the doctors said to me, look, He's really not getting any better and he's fighting a really good fight, but he's exhausted and we need to give him a rest. So what we want to do is we want to put him into an induced coma and uh, Mm. we want to um, allow his body to rest so that we can give him the best um, chance of recovery. And I guess for me, um, all of that seems surreal. You can't actually Mm, process that at all. So I said to myself, well, who do I need to be for Tim right now? Mm. So I can remember just walking back into the intensive care ward and just holding Tim's hand and just telling him, how much I loved him. And mm-hmm. I talked to him. Tim used to play lacrosse for Australia. And I said, well, what did you do before you used to run on to the field? Mm. And he said, well, I used to zone. I used to, you know, see myself playing really well and, and playing at the top of my game. So a visualisation. Yeah. So I said mm. to him, well, I want you to visualise. We've got a, you know, we love the water. And I said, there's a, a little seat that we used to sit on uh, overlooking Manly Harbour. So I said, I want you to visualise us sitting there um, looking out at the boats and you being incredibly well and us dreaming of our future. And he said, "Um, I can see that. And I said, well, um, I'm going to be here when you wake up and uh, all will be fine. Now, for Mm -hmm. some strange reason, I thought that Tim would be asleep for a a day or two. But those Mm -hmm. days went into weeks and those weeks nearly went into a month. Um, And they were you know, some of the hardest um, days that I've lived in through. Um, Who supported you, Joe? during Look, that time? I had incredible support. I had wonderful support from you, Marianne, and the Leukaemia <laughs> Foundation. And I think that without um, you and the team, um, I would have felt incredibly lost and alone. Because again, the world doesn't stop when you go through something no. uh, challenging. The world continues on. So I had wonderful support from the Leukaemia Foundation and I'm just so ever grateful for, for that. Um, my mum and dad were absolutely extraordinary. Um, Tim's parents also came up from Adelaide um, and I had a wonderful group of, of girlfriends who would rotate and uh, come up to the hospital and, and just make sure I was okay. And quite often I wouldn't even see them, but there was a little um, room outside the intensive care ward at the MARTA and uh, they would quite often just sit and just knowing that they were there was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I was also... Um, I was also very fortunate that the mater actually let me have a little room uh, just off the intensive care wall with a bed in it. Uh, most nights I would sleep next to Tim um, because at night time it always seemed to be the, the time that he got particularly sick. Uh, mm. But 
And so it was just wonderful having that as well. And then there were some really incredible, extraordinary nurses. In fact, one mm. is a Qantas steward. I ran into him a couple of weeks oh, ago flying wow. back from Melbourne and he made a real difference to me as well. And what we tried to do also was um, I decorated uh, Tim's room with all momentums of our life because he wasn't just a patient. He was my team. No. He was a yeah. guy who loved his friends and and loved uh, sailing and loved the ocean and and mm. had really great dreams as well and it was really important for me to show everyone who he was he was how lovely and to take the time and effort uh, to do well that. it was important for me and then I um I just read to him there were quite often mm. uh, that so there was a great book by around the world yachtsman called Pete Goss who basically mm. turned into the Southern Ocean to go and rescue a French yachtsman whose yacht had overturned in the Southern Ocean in a um, single-handed around-the-world race. And so I kept reading, uh, I guess, a couple of chapters from that book about talking to Tim about you're in your Southern Ocean but you're not alone and we're doing this together. How lovely. And then Mm. on a day that it appeared that um, the standard treatment wasn't actually working on Tim, um, I started uh, coming up with a new plan and that was for us to put on hold our dream of sailing around the world and to start actually um, that we would quit our stressful corporate jobs and we would buy a yacht and we would sail up the Queensland coast and even though Tim was still in an induced coma and he was still um, hooked up to lots of machines and even though we didn't have any promise I kept talking about that over and over and over Again. again with him and then finally when he started to feel better he said you know I knew I had to wake up I knew you had an adventure and yeah he actually held up his fingers and said with three years and he said you know, and he shrugged his shoulders because he couldn't talk. And I said, I've got a plan. And uh, he knew he had a plan. And from that moment on, we started just dreaming of, of wonderful new adventures, not the dreams that we'd had, but the new, dr- the new adventures and new dreams. And, and that always, I guess, became, um, I guess, our compass point for the years ahead as, um, you know, he received more treatment and, and battled some, some more storms. You know, it's amazing, Joe. I'm a great believer in the power of the mind. And in some ways, looking at that time, your choice around reading that novel about a voyage and a, a world trip, that would have registered in Tim's subconscious mind. Because as we all are aware, or some of you may not be aware, you know, hearing is one of the, you know, one of the senses that's always not um, impacted even when you're in a coma people can often hear so those messages and that planning that you did with Tim during that time it did give him that 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 essence and you that focus that vision we're going to move forward we're going to plan we're going to hold on to hope and I think that hope is just a really important thing um, I mm. mean again we had, I had a choice at that particular point in time um, and the choice that I took was to firstly be there for Tim and for him to know that I was there, um, to always keep trying to look ahead. And that doesn't mean that there were days that were, were not hard because they were, of course they were. For me also, I'm a reader, so I love mm. to read and acquire knowledge. And I think one of the hardest things sometimes for me was that I felt so helpless. You know, mm. um, up until that point in my time, it, in my life, 
anything that I wanted. I just thought I will get it, but through hard work and sheer determination. Mm. And this, a lot of this was out of my control, but I love to read. So I acquired uh, as much knowledge as I could. I used to read Tim's um, hospital file and mm. uh, particularly when things weren't going so well, um, you know, I was the one with the vested interest. I had, you know, mm. I was the one in my view as well as Tim's family and obviously Tim that was going to lose the most if um, if Tim didn't get through his illness. I mean, he's the love of my life. Um, mm. You know, I we got engaged seven months after after we um, met, we, met um, we knew instantly that uh, he was the one for me. And I knew mm. that I needed to do everything I could to get him through. Now, sometimes it doesn't matter what you do, you can't change the outcome. But mm. for me, um, I was really lucky that I'd come across an article that had shown how the particular type of um, I guess a tablet form that was given to Tim for, to help his leukemia because he was intubated and and um, they couldn't give that tablet orally some other options for how that could be administered to him. Um, and I was also very lucky that I had such a great intensivist, but such a great hematologist who was actually willing to just sit down and explain things to to me and give me the gift of, of their time. And so mm. I actually felt that we were. Part Part of a team, and mm, uh, they embraced they you as a part of the conversation. Uh, absolutely, yes. because yeah. I was just the one constant. I was at the hospital twenty four seven. I was mm. also. I knew if Tim was having a good or bad day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'd ask Kerry Taylor what are the things that he's looking for in Tim's blood work. So when the mm. test came back, I could have a look and go, "Oh, today's a good day or a bad day, or you know, mm. in between day." And so for me, that also felt that I was actually doing something. You know, I used to help the nurses change Tim's bed. I used to, you know, try mm. to massage his feet. I would play great music that he loved. And then when he didn't, when he wasn't getting any better, I started playing Enya because he hated Enya. And I thought, well, I'm going to get you better <laughs> by just torturing you with music, triggering. triggering. So, you know, first of all, you'll you'll wake up with a happy thought, thinking we're going to go off sailing. But secondly. That you have to wake up, so I'm going to turn Enya off because um, because I just went oh well, there's no harm in there's no harm in trying. So needless to say, we haven't listened to Enya, um, you know, for the last Since. 23 years. Um, but whatever I could do just to to help him, and then in my I had this wonderful support network um, behind me who really took on board that their role was to, they thought, okay, well, Joe's probably the best placed person to help Tim. How can we help her? So they okay. fed me. They, you know, made sure that I was okay. My parents would take alternative nights where they would stay up in the hospital with me, particularly if Tim wasn't traveling so well. So I was very, very lucky that I had that wonderful support. And I always feel for those patients and carers who have to leave their whole support network and travel to a, a larger city to get treatment mm. because all of a sudden all of those people who they would be mm -hmm. who would be there for them um, you know that can be really quite isolating and and really quite it is lonely. challenging for yeah. them and very lonely absolutely that that time when he was in hospital Joe when you actually then got to return home 
and almost like for you, having immersed yourself in that hospital environment for that period of time. And Tim shared with me that his rehabilitation post-discharge was needing to be quite lengthy, having gone from quite a healthy, fit, robust person to someone who really needed to take things slowly and had to be committed. How was that time for you? Did you fall in a heap or did you struggle? Oh, I was just so excited that he was okay. I just, I felt like I had won the lottery initially. It was still, it (laughs) was really hard afterwards. And in fact, I think um, Tim thought I was going to crash the car on the way out of hospital. Um, (laughs) And, you know, he was really quite weak. And I think um, when I look back, I think there was a sense of nervousness for him Mm. leaving the hospital because, you know, there he felt that he was getting treated and if anything went wrong. Um, And he was- safety space. And a safety space. space. And he was Mm. really still weak. You know, he- he didn't mm-hmm. walk out of hospital. We wheeled him out in a, in a wheelchair, and um, and I hadn't been home for six weeks. So because I'd basically said, mm-hmm. "Well, I'm not coming home till you're coming home with me." Um, mm. So I think for those initial days, I was just so excited that all mm. those things that I had just longed for and missed, just having dinner mm. with him, sleeping in the same bed with him. Um, just having a cup of tea um, sitting on our front deck. Um, and then what we used to do is I used to push him along the – we lived down at um, at down at Winner Manly and I'd walk along the esplanade with him and uh, and then he'd, he'd stand up and then he'd walk a bit and then we'd put him in the, um, in the wheelchair again. And honestly, if you had seen my face in – at that time, I just know mm. that it. I just would have been beaming. I would have been smiling so much. But also, it's hard to assimilate back into life too because yes. you've been through so much and, and you're still going through things. And I mm. think it's really important just to be really kind and gentle to yourself throughout that, that, is important. that process. Yeah. Um, and I think for, for Tim um, – you know, he was, he had gone through some, I mean, it's it's quite daunting to all of a sudden, you know, have lost six weeks of your life because you're mm. asleep. But for me, I became very protective of him. And mm. I think it, I think the one hard thing was is that he'd had a completely different experience to my experience Mm. Um, and I didn't want to go through all of that with him but I probably was a little bit more teary and probably a little bit more clingy to him Mm. than what I would have been previously you know we were I was Mm. a very staunch I'm going off and having my own life and we'll have adventures but um, I didn't kind of want him out of my sight. No, you're like a mother bear. With I, the was, cup. I was, I was, I was. <laughs> so that would have been really annoying, and I'm sure very clingy for him. But um, yeah, did I you ever have so those glad. challenging conversations? Yeah, in we that did. Time? We did. Yeah. You know, um, because he he wanted to go off sailing with his mates, and of course he wants to go sailing with his mates, and I just wanted mm. to spend every single living second, second. with him. Yeah. So yeah, we did have those challenging conversations um, at times. But we just knew that that was just part of us just readjusting to what had happened. Um, I also went through a phase of, you know, making Tim go to all these alternative therapies. So I dragged him along oh, yeah. to, you know, 
Reiki people and um, and acupuncturists. And he's, you know, he's a software engineer. He's not really into any of that, but he did that just to help me out, which was um, wonderful. Because again, it made me feel like I was doing something. Contributing, Contributing to his health and well-being. Absolutely. Um, did you change your diet during that time? Oh, look, we did and we didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I think at some points we decided to, you know, we went through a juicing phase and, um, you know, people gave you all of these alternative therapy books and things like that because again that was the way that they um they liked they were helping out yeah yeah um but I think again as a carer you just have to trust the person who you're caring Mm. for and just say look this is this is their journey and so whatever however they want to um approach it then you have to respect that too which is also very hard too because their approach might be different from how you approach things better or or worse did any of like the two of you, from what you're telling me, were, remained very connected, like a cocoon? You you stayed by his side, and he values that enormously. Did your relationships, viewer relationships, or anything, you know, outside of your little nucleus, did did any of that change? Like even you know what you valued or your interactions, was that impacted at all by that time? Or did pe- friends disappoint you? Some yes, I, some no. I just think I think that friends friends will give you what friends are capable of giving you at that particular point in time and I think mm-hmm. we always need to be kind and gentle with our friends too because mm-hmm. they don't know how to deal with a situation like this either so that's um, kind of you to say that and I yes. think that well I think it's you know because everyone goes through different phases of their life and goes through different things so you mm-hmm. know there's quite often friends who say I just don't know what to say Um, Mm. or I don't know how to cope with this. Um, And that's actually okay. Um, Mm. You know, I always think you have friends will come into your life and be a certain friend at a particular point of your life too. So, you know, I had... A reason, a season, a a lifetime. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that the friends who I needed at that particular point in time were there um, Mm -hmm. and the friends that I needed for another type of time in my life were also there so mm-hmm. I had I had the people who I needed at that particular point in time um, mm-hmm. to actually help me through and for that I'm just forever I'm forever grateful um, and lovely. I still have friends who were with me you know back in that time and they'll know that you know even now when Tim has his annual checkup I you know I get a bit emotional and and afraid and and worried and and they're just there um Mm. you know they know that's just a a part of us and and a part of who I am and um and they're just there so I think that it's just be thankful for the friends that you've got and realize the friends that perhaps are not um, perhaps responding in a way that perhaps you would, it's maybe that's all that they're capable of at that particular mm. point in time and, and be kind and gentle to them also. That's very kind, Joe, because, you know, um, it's such a, a it's such a moment in time where uh, emotions are heightened. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes through no fault of anybody's really, but we see things differently through a different lens and sometimes people have expectations of others. But I think, you know, again, that's attributable to, a th- I think, your solid nucleus and your connection with Tim that your need for outside energy is 
is in a place where you can just accept what they've got to give and be happy with that. So there's no expectation. Yeah, and also, um, you know, those people you you still want in your life. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, it's about just, again, just recognising where they were at at a, at a particular point in time and, and just go, that's actually, that's actually okay. But, yes, mm. I mean, Tim and I, we, we felt... Um, and we still felt even, you know, in, in the years um, after his original diagnosis, we kind of felt like we were in, it was our team, like the two of us kind mm. of battling this um, together with support crew kind of, you know, around yeah. us. Mm. But it was really, um, the, and I never, even though Tim had the physical symptoms for me, um, I never thought that it was just her, his, um, his, fight or you know his journey and not mine we just Mm. had different roles to play in it but it was both a journey for us both to take even though they you know it was slightly different it was obviously very different for for Mm. both of us but it was something that we both needed to to be there for um one another I think that's actually a strength and I love how you put it that way because you're naming the disease as the thing that you're both approaching together. I think that actually gives both of you strengths in different ways. Yeah, well, again, you know, Tim Tim had a lot to lose, but so did I. Um, mm, absolutely. You know, so it was, again, it was, wasn't, was well, this is something that happened to Tim. It was, um, this is just a life event that's happened to both of us, that if both mm. of us attack it together, then um, no matter what happens, we know that we will have done our best and um, and have cared for one another and looked after one another. And, and for me, that was just really, that was just really, really important. I mean, again, it comes back to, we made a promise to each other that we would I love, love that and the journey started. And that yep. was just, that was just, just part of it and when I was failing he would he would pick me up and and give Mm. me great strength and Tim just the way he approached um the the way he approached his leukemia was extraordinary he would get up every morning even when he was you know there were some days that he couldn't get out of bed when he was in hospital but he would get up and he would get dressed and he mm. wouldn't be in his pajamas. He would actually get dressed, and we would walk laps around the ward. Um, and so he's determined. He was really determined, and he, mm. if he could sit up out of a, out of bed, he would get up and sit out of bed. He, if he could yeah. get up and get out of his room, he would do that. We, you know, we there used to be a little terrace in the hospital, and we would go and sit out there quite often. Um, I'd go and if he wasn't neutropenic, I'd go and get a nice dinner, and I'd get a tablecloth and a candle and we'd sit out there and have dinner together. Oh, um, lovely. So you created special moments. We created special moments within mm. the hospital setting mm-hmm. um, and did our little routines. You know, we'd uh, we'd have a crossword puzzle or, um, you know, after Sarah was born, you know, we made sure that we just did things with her that were really, really special, even though we couldn't have the year that we wanted for the first year of her life. Um, we just created a bit of a magic place um, wherever we were. How special, how special. He did share about the, you know, the birth of the two girls and, um, you know, how your first girl was conceived um, normally. Yep. Uh, Yep. And um, how your second child believes she's older and more mature because she (laughs) (laughs) She does. (laughs) Yeah. 
I, I did find that sharing and, you know, just to give context for those who haven't listened to Tim's um, podcast and may have registered and wanted to just listen to yours, can we just look at that? You know, just with you from a mum's perspective, you know, this is another, light, you know, lion moment where you now have got little cubs, you know, you've got your big cub, but you've got little cubs into the world. And if you're happy to just share, um, you know, the decisions around moving forward to have a family. Yes, certainly. So, Mm. the first time Tim got sick, maybe if I'll talk about that. So, we went off sailing and it was wonderful. We had just, Mm -hmm. we quit our jobs, everyone thought we were crazy. We bought our yacht, off we went. Um, And he, um, about a year later, he got sick again. And so, we, Mm -hmm. the boat was in Ellie Beach um, and we stayed at the Leukemia Foundation. We'd moved out of our house and we had nowhere to live and the Leukemia Foundation were absolutely fantastic. And again, we were really, really fortunate that Tim had had a, um, we'd done a harvest, a stem cell harvest because he hadn't, mm. uh, he didn't have a donor anywhere for a bone marrow transplant. And uh, we got through that, which was wonderful. Um, and then probably, so that was in 2000, 2001. And uh, a couple of years later, we worked part-time for a couple of years while Tim was still getting treatment and then we um, he wanted to go back to work full-time and restart his career and I said okay well I'll I'll restart mine and then we thought about having a family and we were so blessed to have Sarah Um, Mm. and for me um, when she was born um, it felt like all the pieces of the puzzle had fit had fitted into place we oh you know we had gone through you know we'd gone Mm. through not one storm but two and mm. we kind of thought, well, life's just brilliant. It's it's wonderful. We've got this beautiful girl who we never thought that we would have. Um, we named her um, Sarah Taylor Keane, uh, Taylor after Dr. Taylor, who really saved oh, his yeah. life. And our life was complete and perfect. And we had an appointment with Kerry um, when Sarah was eight weeks old. And I was so excited to introduce her to him and just, you know, really thank him for everything that he had done to enable us to get to that point and for me to have a husband, but also uh, to have a father as well, you know, to have a child. To be a father, yes. Um, And then 10 weeks to the day that Sarah was born, we got a call to say that um, Tim's leukaemia had returned. Because he he mentioned that he didn't ever have any signs. No, he had no signs. And he looked really well. Um, Mm. In fact, when Kerry actually called me initially to say, look, I think he needs to have a bone marrow test to see his blood work's not as good as what I thought it would be. I can remember going and getting Sarah and driving into town and picking Tim up and I took him to New Farm Park because when we first started going out, he used to come and meet me. um, He'd pick me up because he was working out of the city and he'd pick me up and we'd go there and we'd have lunch together and then he'd take me back to work. And Mm. so I took him there and we sat on a bench and I said, look, um, I've got a call from Kerry. He's a bit worried about your blood results and he wants you to have a bone marrow test on Monday and he went well don't be so ridiculous there's you know I'm riding my bike I'm I'm you know doing lots of miles on my bike mm. I feel amazing there's no way I'm I'm going to be sick and again that optimism I just went okay mm. well something else is going you on. know what you feel like you know yep. what you feel like yeah um but of course he had the bone marrow test on the Monday and and Tuesday uh we got the call uh to say mm. that we had to move straight into the hospital 
And for me, it would have been hard for you, Joe, because you've just had a baby too. So hormonally, yeah, that so would have been really and hard. I time. was so angry at that point mm. because we waited, we waited, and we waited, and we waited until we'd kind of got the all clear for Sarah, mm. because mm. I knew how hard it was for someone to go through a blood cancer diagnosis and treatment. And, you know, we'd said we want to make sure that Tim's through all of that so mm-hmm. that, you know, we can make sure that when we bring a, a child into the world that it's, um, you know, that it's in the it, in the best possible place. Yes. And I know there's so many young people who go through this also. Mm. Um, and so we moved into the hospital. So, Mm -hmm. Tim and I and Sarah moved into the MARTA. We put a – because I couldn't leave him. Uh, And that was – we were in this together. So, um, we got a cot and we got a large room. We were really lucky that we had private health insurance. And so, that's where Sarah spent the most part – the best part of the first year of her life. She can sleep through anything wow. now. She can sleep through, <laughs> you know, lots of um, lots of noises and, and, you know, it's very, very hard to wake her up. But um, I knew I needed to be there for Tim, but I also mm. needed to be there for Sarah as well. And, mm. again, my parents mm. were wonderful. After that initial, um, you know, six-week block, and um, we were very lucky Tim went into remission again. Um, he did some work as a, an outpatient and then um, – by the time he had to go back into hospital, it was around the September. So Sarah was about nine months old back at that okay. point. And so I used to have her up in the hospital with me during the day and I'd take her to mum and dad. She'd sleep at mum and dad's at night time nice. and then um, I'd mm. go back up to Tim's. So I think it just gave us for, you know, an even more reason for really mm. to be there and to be there together. I know it was really hard on Tim at some stage because at times he was so weak he couldn't even hold Sarah. Um, But Sarah just became part of our life. So she would, you know, she would be hugged by nurses. She would, um, and again, was it ideal? Of course it wasn't, but we made the best of it. But you know what she did provide and what she maintained is connection. Yeah, and that was that sense of safety, those fundamental things that all of us need as human beings. You're all together. You're all there. And that's, again, Mm. Sarah was just part of, again, the next part of this Mm. journey. And so we got through, Tim had another transplant. We got through that. Um, And I wanted to, uh, we started talking about having another baby. Well, I started talking about having Mm. another baby. Um, And, again, that year that he was in hospital, I started dreaming about the future and what that started to look like. So we'd actually made a a, – we'd actually discussed the week before he had um, relapsed again that we were going to have two kids really quickly and fly to Europe and buy a yacht and sail around the Mediterranean and then sail that (laughs) home. I love these visions. And, of course, then that wasn't happening. So I said, you know what, maybe – this plan of sailing around the world is just not going to happen for us at the moment. So um, we had bought an old fishing shack across the road from the water. And mm-hmm. so in the year that Tim spent in hospital, I sat and designed uh, the house. The house and we had no money. We didn't. Ha- we had no money. We'd gone from two incomes to nothing. Um, but we also said, you know what, we're going to try and have another baby. Um, and for me... I firmly believed in my heart of hearts that Tim would get through, um, you know, what he needed to get through. 
But I just also thought, well, what happens if he doesn't? Um, Sarah will have a grief-stricken mum. She won't mm-hmm. have a dad and that's not much of a life for her. So I said, we can't think about what if. We have to think about um, what if something happens. We go, we had to keep moving forward. So we started talking about it and again, we talked to Tim's doctor and he said, are mm. you really sure? I can't give you any guarantees. But when we think about it, none of us have guarantees in life. No, we, we don't. Ne- and so again, we can't let a blood cancer diagnosis rule for whatever our life is going forward, we have to make those choices. So we decided that we would have another baby. We had banked some of Tim's swimmers um, mm-hmm. from his first uh, first uh, round of, of, of illness. And we were so blessed and fortunate that we were able to, um, Kate was conceived uh, first go, uh, which was fantastic. Sarah was there, a bit weird, being in a doctor's <laughs> surgery at the same time. Um, I went outside and I um, kind of lay upside down um, in a park on Wickham Terrace because I thought, well, maybe gravity will help. Um, I'd read an article to say that if you have acupuncture around the time that you, um, you know, around conception, that actually helps. So I was really, we were ticked all the boxes, boxes. (laughs) really, really blessed. And just, you know, but just by, um, it was kind of Tim was in hospital the night that I found out that I was pregnant and we thought that he'd maybe relapsed again um and but he didn't and we were so lucky and we were able to keep moving forward and a few tears were shed a few tears were shed uh the relief of not relapsing a new baby and a new baby on Mm. the way and you know for the next three or four years Tim was in and out of hospital and he was getting treatment Um, one month out of every three. But we just adapted. It was our Mm -hmm. new normal. And I think, you know, we can always fight and go, I wish this wasn't happening, but that's not helpful. Um, Mm. It's it's about... That's actually a really good pearl of wisdom. It's not helpful. It's actually not helpful. It's about we... We will all go through things at different stages of our lives. And the only thing that we've got um, control over is how we respond so and and sometimes that's even just breaking down your day to just the next five minutes and just think I'm just going to get through the next five minutes or I'm just going to get through the next hour or I'm going to get through to the next blood test and Mm. if you just break down but in the in the throes of all of that also find joy in the most simplest of things and the most simplest of pleasures and and just enjoy dream but also enjoy the here and now as well. Oh, that is invaluable. That is because I, I would imagine, um, so in the times when Tim was weak and, you know, you were probably exhausted yourself physically and emotionally, how did you choose to spend time? I know you, um, from what you've shared, you always had a vision that you worked together and you mentioned, and Tim mentioned also, the power of journaling, um, you know, and and what you did in that space to, I guess, contribute to the goals that you eventually reached um how else did you choose to spend time because it's those little pearls of wisdom that I think do help others who might be struggling to know where to place their focus or you know choices that they're making I think um I think the journaling was really uh really important for me just to process um, how Mm -hmm. I was feeling. And Mm -hmm. uh, so we did that in two steps. We did one for me in terms of how I 
what I was doing and how I was feeling. And, and it was a way that I could actually get down my thoughts on paper. And uh, that was really great. But then we started just goal setting as well. So mm-hmm. for us, um, you know, the first time was the boat. So we started talking about what that mm-hmm. actually looked like. And we didn't really care about our reality at that particular point in time. You know, mm-hmm. Tim was in and out of hospital. That's okay. But we just said, well, let's talk about when this is over, um, mm. what we're going to do. And so that was actually what that actually allowed us to do is is our life, Tim's leukemia was one aspect of our life, a massive part that we needed to put lots of time and energy in, but it wasn't who we were. He wasn't his mm. illness and I wasn't his illness. Uh, mm. We were peop- we were a, a couple who loved each other dearly and loved to do things together. So, mm. um, so we had those dreams, but we also would pass time, again, just doing those really simple things. So, just mm. having a cup of tea together, doing crosswords, yep. um, going for walks. Um, you know, time kind of slowed in a way yeah. and made really that time as special as possible. But again, just keep we just kept dreaming, and then you know the the time that after Sarah was born, you know, I would show him sketches of the house and Mm. um, I would talk to him about it. Um, And that would actually enable me to actually, in those times and those quiet times and sometimes in those witching hours of the morning that are really hard and challenging and the times when you feel the most alone because there's no Mm. one to call um, and there's no one really who you feel at that time really understands I would sit and design the house or I would how lovely um, so that was really helpful for me because you were immersing yourself in something that the two of you would eventually enjoy Uh, absolutely so Mm -hmm. not something and also yeah also the investment in conversation Joe um that the two of you give to each other having the open conversation yeah I know oh sorry you go no, no. Um, yeah, I think just talking about talk. Yeah, just talking about how we were and how we were feeling. Um, I think sometimes when it's your partner who is going through the tough time, you actually want to be really brave for them, and you don't mm. want to. Um, say this is actually really scary because if you actually say it's really scary they might get scared too or they might be worried Mm -hmm. Um, so we didn't talk about those things but we well that's my recollection we didn't but we talked about um, just really just enjoyed spending every moment together Mm. that, that we could he mentioned when I chatted to him the value of the time you two, you well, the four of you now spend together at dinner time. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and and we, that's a commitment. Well, to each other. I think the thing is, is your family is your family is the essence of who you are. You know, mm. um, where I work, I, certainly with my team, I just say your health and your family come first, no matter what. Um, Mm. Because, yes, work gets busy and life gets busy, but actually making the time for your family, I think, is the very best investment you can make in your own happiness, but also their happiness as well. Mm. So, Tim and I knew that in terms of our relationship. So, anything that is worth having takes time. So, Tim and I, above all, he's my best friend, um, but he's the person who I will 
always say no to something else if it's to say yes to spending time with him. Um, oh, how lovely. And mm. no to, you know, so sometimes, you know, lots of people, you know, we're all busy, but I always go, it comes back to him and the two girls. So, yeah, so every night we take the time to sit. We like, I love candles. So we sit and yes. we light candles and we sit and we have dinner together. And we talk nice. about all sorts of things. Our daughters now are 17 and 15. Um we talk about things that there's no way I would have ever talked to my parents about around our dinner table. Uh, Tim is an <laughs> extraordinary dad about the topics of conversation that uh, we will have around our dinner table. But that real investment in time is yes. um, we we make sure that we do that. We also have adventures and we have holidays. Mm. So And we've made that a real focus of our family um, since the girls were little. Now, for a long time, we didn't have the money or we didn't have the ability to travel far. You know, Tim mm. always needed to be not that far from a hospital. But, mm. you know, we would, um, we would go camping. Um, we would... Uh, you know, the girls tell me now about, you know, some of the adventures that, that we've taken them on. Uh, mm. But each year now, we really make a point in time to actually have that time and uh, really, really invest in the time that we spend together. And we take ourselves away from uh, everything else and we go away mm -hmm. and we'll have three weeks together just as a family. And that has been really, really special for us because it allows us to reconnect in the, in the busyness of life um, and keeps us all really, really strong. Isn't that lovely? And it's so very true. And yet simple things, simple things that bring enormous happiness and the foundation of connection, which you've obviously taught now your daughters, which I think is invaluable in life. Well, I think, again, it's people who make your life enriched and mm. it's, um, it, is just taking, it is just taking that time and just, and just being there and, and sometimes even just listening and being there, you know, quite often Tim's an incredible listener. So he, mm. and uh, unfortunately for him, I like to talk a lot. So, um, so <laughs> you did mention that. Yes. <laughs> So each night we get home and he kind of sits, uh, he he does most of the cooking at home. So he stands in the kitchen and uh, it's kind of like I'm in a bar and, he, you know, I sit on the bar stool on the other side and I download my day and he just listens, he just listens to us. But, um, but again, we, that's the way that we reconnect. We reconnect by being on the boat. We reconnect by going for walks. We reconnect by spending time in the snow and doing things that we love to do. We reconnect by looking at the moon and just uh, being in awe of how that how it rises above the ocean and again just taking mm. that time just to be grateful for the life that we have and the life that we've been given and the third chance that we've been given of happiness with each other and with our two beautiful girls we're very very blessed and very lucky yeah that is that is lucky and it is blessed and you know I wish you all the very best because certainly from my perspective the two of you and the choices that you've made especially in facing lots of adverse times lots of challenges your commitment to each other your commitment to your goals in life your visions creating the vision and making it a reality they've been big messages for me um, and I'm certainly big messages for for many who might be listening to you know to our conversation so thank you Joe thank you for spending 
this has been, would you believe it, 50 minutes. Wow. That's so crazy, I'm it? just going to, I'm just going to press. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope that you found it helpful in some way. If you would like more information on today's show or our services, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.